This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. If you're struggling through the pains of alcohol or drug addiction or a mental health disorder, now's the time to seek the help you need. Let this be an opportunity to get back on track and finding the real you. You're not alone and Promises Behavioral Health is here and they can help you. Now, we've worked with Promises for years now. We know their teams personally. We have great relationships with them. And and most importantly, we trust Promises. That means you can too. To learn more about Promises treatment options near you, here's what you can do. You can go to promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash soberguy, or you can call 888-205-1890. That's 888-205-1890. Tell them that you heard about them from that Sober Guy podcast. This morning and every morning on the way to the gym, I drink a no carbs company. NOCO, as it's also known by the can, is a beverage packed with branched-chain amino acids, vitamins, 180 milligrams of caffeine, it's sugar-free, and it tastes amazing. It's also made with green tea extract and has four different vitamins. It's now available in five different flavors. Uh, And look, if the caffeine is an issue, they have a couple of options, which are caffeine-free too as well. Uh, So for more information or to order a case of NOCO, it's No Carbs Company, go to NOCO.com, that's N-O-C-C-O.com, and pick up your favorite No Carbs Company drink today. That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. If it's your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. Our guest today is Wendy Adamson. And so excited to talk to Wendy today. Wendy is a mental health professional. She spent over 25 years serving individuals who are struggling with addiction and mental health disorders. Uh, In that time, she's provided counseling, facilitated groups, interventions, crisis management. Uh, She's executed treatment plans, which have led hundreds of individuals to finding a way out of a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Uh, Wendy also has multiple articles in the Huffington Post, two published memoirs, Motherload and Encourageable, where she shares her own struggles with addiction and her ultimate recovery, which had led to profound healing within her own family system itself. So super excited to talk to Wendy today. We're going to get to her in just a minute. You can find all of our resources, like our free 10-day guide to help jumpstart your life without alcohol, our 30-day quit drinking dude challenge, which I love, by the way, lots of dudes out there taking that. You can also join our Sober Guy men's crew. You get meetings, podcasts, all the resources by going to thatsoberguy.com. It's www.thatsoberguy.com. And you can be sure to follow us on Instagram at that sober guy podcast. All right. Everything we talk about today will be in the show notes. Easy for you to find. Let's get to Wendy now. Wendy, it's so very nice to meet you. You're down in Southern California. I'm up in Northern California. And through the great awesomeness of technology, we're connecting today to do this podcast. So how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's yeah. just so nice to meet you in person. It is. And and I got to give a shout out to our friend TJ Woodward, who helped connect us. And actually, TJ is going to be coming back on the podcast uh, here shortly, just in the next couple of weeks. So I'm excited about that. But thanks, TJ, for connecting uh, Wendy and I today. And uh, man, it's just great to uh, great to uh, sit down with you. Uh, and where, where do we start? Maybe just give us a little background on, on yourself. So, um, well, I was, I'm from uh, Los Angeles, born and raised, and uh, I came from 
you know, one of those dysfunctional homes. Uh, my mother uh, was schizophrenic. And back when I was growing up, we weren't allowed to talk about that. There was a lot of stigma. Mm. In, well, there's still stigma uh, involved in mental illness. And that's kind of what, what led me to writing about it, because I thought that, you know, people that have go through it need to have a voice, need to hear other people that have are going through it or have been through it and gotten to the other side. But I, um, she killed herself when I was seven. And uh, I, you know, never processed that grief. We never talked about it. It was like, wow. hush, hush, you know, don't talk about it. Don't tell anybody. And as you know, it was just a secret, you know, and with secrets comes suffering, you know, we're as sick as our secrets. And so uh, when I found alcohol, initially it was alcohol that um, gave me the relief I was looking for, you know, and um, that, you know, then it led to drugs. And um, I circled the drain for many years. I met someone and then my bottom came in the early 90s when um, I started, I was doing methamphetamine and I had a psychotic break. And the interesting thing about it, I was 38, the same age as my mother was 38 when she had her psychotic break mm. and killed herself. Wow. I was had a psychotic break in a, in a meth-induced classic psychotic break. I um, ended up shooting my husband's girlfriend in the arm, you know, and uh, went to jail, you know, and I had wow. two boys, two sons. Uh, one was 16. He wasn't home that night. My nine-year-old son was home that night and, um, you know, I plucked right out of their lives. So wow. it was like the whole family system fragmented, needless to say. But yeah. inevitably, it's what got me sober. You know, it's the catalyst because they're in, in the county jail. <clears throat> Once again, I was blaming everybody else. You know, it was my mother's fault. It was my father's fault. Now it was my husband's fault for cheating on me. Um, because, you know, I saw the, the my life through a victim, uh, a lens of victimhood, you know, and the language I spoke was victimese. You know, I just... Mm -hmm blaming everybody else, not taking responsibility. And, you know, it was a, a shift that I happened in the county jail for me that I had um, this vision of, you know, of finding success, but I had no idea what success was. I didn't, was it an, uh, enough money in the bank account? Was it a good job? Was it another husband? What, you know, I knew it. I knew I wanted to um, deeply wanted to make amends to my boys. I really wanted to, you know, it, this trajectory that my family, the lineage was on. I wanted to change that. I didn't know how at first, yeah. but the one thing that I knew it had something to do with getting sober. Mm -hmm. I'd have to get sober to find out what is success means. Cause I, I didn't know. Gosh, I relate to so, so much of that. And, uh, you know, you, 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 you kind of touched on it in some of the notes I have here too, uh, was the intergenerational trauma, 
right? And so that makes me that kind of I feel like that ties into some of the stuff with with your mother, you know, and dealing with that. And so like one of the questions that um, when I go on other podcasts, people ask me is, well, what's one of your biggest successes, right? And and I, I always love what like I I believe this in my heart. One of my biggest successes is breaking that generational curse of being passed down through. Gen- so now my my son, he just told me the other day on a walk, we were, we we um we're on a little evening time walk. He's seven. His name's Cash. Awesome kid. I love him so much. And he goes, Hey, Dad. He goes, uh, What if I uh, What if I get tempted to try alcohol one day or drink? He said, I. I don't want to do that, dad. I want to be sober like you. And I just like, it even almost makes me tear up right now just thinking about it because that time that you said, like even you explained it too, you knew there was something more, but you, and you knew that it started with getting sober. So I, man, I just relate to that so much. Thanks for pointing that out. How do we talk a little bit more about the intergenerational trauma? And then what what are your thoughts if you have a response or anything to, to kind of what I just shared? Well, I, first of all, I love uh, his name, Cash. <laughs> that's a great name. Yeah, I love that. You. Seven years old. That's so sweet. Yeah. And, and seven years old was how old I was when my mother killed herself. Wow. That's no. Man, and, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it, it caused a big gap in my life. But um, it's so great that you have this, you're sharing this experience, like we talked about hiking, sharing nature with your son. And it's a beautiful thing, you know, it's just by leading by example, you know, and the intergenerational trauma that, that, you know, is imprinted on us. It's imprinted in our psyche. When we, it's not so much what we say as parents, it's what we do. My when I got out of jail, my eldest son, the 16-year-old, was in a juvenile detention center. Mm. I had been in a juvenile detention center. I was, um, you know, labeled incorrigible. That's one of my books. And incorrigible means unable to be corrected. So mm. the court system labeled me unable to be corrected or reformed. Put me in the system. And I, you know, went to foster homes and everything. Now, fast forward, my son is following in my footsteps, right? He's following in my footsteps. I'm unconsciously following in my mother's footsteps. I ended up going to the same psychiatric hospital, not when I went to jail, but before that, um, that she had been in, you know? So it's like, it's imprinted on it. And it's like, as long as, as a family's not addressing it or talking about it or being open or keeping it secret, yeah. then yeah. there is nothing can be let out into the light to heal, you know? And that's another thing that happens in, well, in, you know, first I started uh, going back to juvenile hall and talking to the girls in juvenile hall, sharing my experience, using everything that I went through as a tool to help somebody else. That's what I I learned from other people in my life and um, other recovering people in my life. And so I started doing that. And when I, the first time I went back to Selmar Juvenile Hall, it's in in, in the Valley, um, same place I'd been as a kid. And I was talking to those girls And it was almost like, you know, recovery to me means recovering those parts of ourselves that we abandoned. Mm. You know, the the 14-year-old girl that I 
I, I abandoned every time I got drunk or had a blackout. The 15-year-old girl that ran away from home. You know, all of those pieces of me by using it um, to be of service. Yeah. Um, but the intergenerational trauma was repeating itself. And I do believe it's the greatest gift. It yeah. is the greatest gift. Getting sober for me was, it's like, it's the best thing that ever happened yeah. because yeah. I could, I could heal, heal and be another example. You know, the woman that was circled the, dra- the drain and now a woman that is there for her, for her boys. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And, and I, uh, I'm wondering if you, if you kind of see it like this, like with your mother and, and for me, it's my, 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 uh, father in his own addictions and, and the way we grew up as kids, um, it took me to cutting out all, you know, the alcohol, starting with the alcohol and then the other substances as well. So I could regain my consciousness, number one, right? Which helped me start to kick that victim mentality that you had mentioned earlier. And over time through the work and, and this practice and just changing my life, it's really enabled me to step outside and see my father now as a person and really forgive him and really be able to see that he had his own trauma he dealt with as a child, which as I didn't, you know, I mean, I knew about it as a kid, but we don't see these things until we start to unlock some of this, um, this, this different level of thinking and different, uh, uh, I guess, um, ways that we can, we can feel and, and forgive. And so did, did you find some of that with your mom too? Like after, were you able to kind of step out and then, um, did that help you kick some of that victim mentality? Well, yeah, I think that um, I became my mother and realizing that I didn't realize it in the county jail. I didn't realize it when I went to transitional living, women and children's center. Uh, I didn't realize it for a while, but, you know, that what you resist persist, mm, you know, and as, as long as I kept her on the hook, I was on the hook. I was on the hook. Yep. And then I had this experience, uh, honestly, through meditation, where I was flooded with compassion for both her and my dad. It was like, it was almost like I couldn't get there in a, uh, with a rational mind. I had to get, I had to be still to just in an instant, a quantum instant, I felt flooded mm. with compassion wow. for that. And I realized I was her. She was a part of me. You know, and I believe that we're all connected. We're all like we see ourselves in other other people. Sometimes we don't want to look, you know, <laughs> it's it's too much or or we get angry or project onto them. But it's like there is some part of me that I see in you and in others. And it's like the world is just basically a mirror, I believe. People are holding up a mirror to you. So I had to, I had to forgive her and I, what I, I couldn't change the past. So what could I do is I could become the mother I never had. Yeah. I could, for my boys, I could become the mother I never had. And the, the payoff from that was greater than I could have imagined. Yeah. Much greater. 
Yeah, and your and your son your sons are doing some amazing stuff these days, and we're going to get to that here shortly, um, and talk a little bit about have a soul. But first, I wanted to I wanted to um, to talk to you about uh, writing a little bit, the therapeutic value in writing. Um, you've written a couple of books, and I, I'm a big believer in that too. When, when we write things down, when we let those things out, and we can visually see them and feel them. Um, you know, that's when there's, there's some sort of magic in that, whether it's healing, um, whether it's uh, perspective, whatever it is. So what, what's your take on writing and, and what would you, what would you kind of, uh, maybe give a couple tips to those out there listening who maybe are like, man, maybe I should start writing. Maybe that's something that I'd like to do. Well, yes. And if I can start that with like the cover of my book, Mother yeah, Love, which is, um, it's a load of dirty laundry. And uh, with a gun on top of it, my son helped me. Took it's a thirty-eight. This. Yes, a thirty-eight. You know, you know. And yeah. I'm airing my dirty laundry. I'm airing my dirty laundry. But mother load is the load I carried of my mother. Okay, mm. and also a dirty load, a loaded gun, a loaded uh, laundry. So I um, think that in writing this, there's a, there's a couple of things that I would like to, to talk about in writing. I found, you know, I always journaled and, you know, some of my journals when I was loaded were like just chicken scratch yeah. um, and I couldn't understand it, but there was something in me that was like wanting to come out on the page. And I feel like journaling was, and, and writing is like taking the bullets out of the chamber. Mm. You know, it's like putting them, on the paper and getting them out of me so that I can see um, writing this book and writing about my, my uh, mother or my father is almost like resurrecting them. It's like keeping them alive, but giving them a new narrative, you know, because I'm owning my part now. I'm not that girl in, in jail saying it was my mother's fault. It was my father's fault. I'm admitting my part here in the book, which changes the narrative, because until I take responsibility, until I learn to forgive, you know, the people that I was angry, I am hooked. Like I said, I am hooked. Uh, I am snagged on repeating the same mistakes. But writing is a way to metabolize your feelings. Like I used alcohol and drugs to metabolize my feelings, but I need an outlet. So the therapeutic value of dissecting your life, looking under the hood, and not everybody's meant to write. That's okay. You know, that it's okay. But if, if you do feel that urge knocking on your door, I just say get out of the way and explore it because nobody can tell your story. Nobody can tell my story. And what when I was writing this, I was breaking this the um, the secrets, you know, the secrets, the the vault. I was opening the vault on all those things I kept inside, and I was bringing it to the light. And you know, it's like I faced a lot of fear. It was like I procrastinated, procrastinated. I, I put it off. I talked about how I was going to write it, but it was like. I was afraid to t expose the family, you know, on this yeah. level. The secrets and uh, just, yeah. myself. 
And when, when it was about to come out, the book had been written. I'd spent so much time on it. And all of this shame started to come up, you know, all of this shame. And I had, I had worked on myself. I had done therapy. I had, you know, I had done plenty of work on myself. So it was like, where is this coming from? Yeah. You know, and it's like those pathways, those neural pathways that were, were the architecture of my brain that was established um, as a kid was, was coming down and I was creating a new pathway. I was like, you know, and what happened after the book came out, not right away, but um, pretty quick, is the shame didn't own me anymore. I realized how the shame kept me small and kept me hiding parts of myself. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you said kept kept me small too. You know, we we have this tendency to want to like if I have a, if I had a shell, I'd climb into that shell and just hide in it <laughs> and play yeah. and play life small when I know inside I can feel this fire just like blazing that wants to get out and shine and be and be big and grow and explore and and um that shame and guilt man gosh i it it really can't hold us back from finding that true uh purpose and that true you know whatever we're meant to do i don't don't know if um you know you you uh well let me say this first before i forget too because I was when you were talking about writing the story I, i mentioned uh in the early part of the podcast um, we have a, a, a 30 day quit drinking dude challenge it's called. Right. And so it's 30 podcasts in 30 days. And on day two, the, the first real exercise that we have, um, that we have people do is they write their story out. So it could be a page. It could be five page. I mean, take, you know, we try to encourage at least, at least a page, but write that out. And so you can have a visual of what that is. Do you think that that's a great exercise to write our own story out? Even if it's just a start, we don't have to master it in a day. It can be an, a, a prolonged thing maybe, but it's something that, that we can really see. I think it's brilliant. I really do. I think it's like, you know, it's like looking under the hood. It's like, you know, how many, how, how long, I don't know about you, but I used to drive cars into the ground. I would never look under the hood. You know, I'd like blow out a, a gasket or something because I was too busy going from A to B and who can be bothered changing the oil? I mean, this is back before I got sober, but, but, yeah. but yeah. you know, like this is, you know, to recover oneself, one has to, to what? You know, what was I doing there? Where, why was I blind? What were my parents doing? And it's like, um, I don't know if I said this. I may have said this, but um, in writing about my family, I felt like, well, yeah, I did say this. Uh, it was like resurrecting, resurrecting them and getting yeah. a deeper um, understanding of my father and my mother, what they went through back then in a time that was different than today, yeah. you know? And, um, but yeah, I think that you're really giving good direction there with writing your life, you know, or starting to just exploring it. Do you, do you have a couple quick tips um, just for those who maybe they're contemplating writing and they're just, but they're like, oh, I don't know how to write or I, I'd never written before. Like I talked to a lot of guys who's, I don't know, I've never really done that, but you know, I try to encourage them. We'll just try. I mean, do you have any specific tips maybe that are just real simple where somebody could start? 
Well, I one thing that I, I do writing uh, creative writing groups and treatment centers down here in LA. Um, I facilitate them. And one thing I like to do is to um, get intimate with the resistance. So if you, and this could be in just any area of your life. So if you're, if you feel resistance, you want to do something, but you're, you're procrastinating, you're avoiding whatever, however it's manifesting. So if you write down what your resistance is saying to you, like give it, give it a voice, give it the resistance a voice and say, you can't do this. You're not worth whatever your, your internal dialogue is saying, let it rip, let it get out on the page so you can see what the resistance is saying. Then do the second part. You don't have to do it right away is to, to talk back to the resistance in a voice that, you know, that you would like to adopt a voice that you, you know, that if like your best friend might have, you can do anything you want, you know, and I'm not listening to you anymore. You know, thanks for sharing, but you're, I'm not listening to you anymore. I am going for it. So it's trying, I think because as an addict and an alcoholic, I think that for a lot of us that, you know, I used to stay in the vagueness and living in the vagueness um, was disempowering, meaning that when it came to finances, I was very vague at where my money was going. When it came to diet, I was very vague. In relationships, very vague about, you know, where, where are we at with this? Um, just all of this vagueness. And so my job is getting clarity, is getting clarity. And one way to do that for me is through writing. Yeah, it's a very powerful tool. So, so you're so what you're saying is with that vagueness is we need to be very intentional about what we're writing. We need to be intentional about that goal or whatever it is that we're writing out that we need. We're trying to get clarity on. And it was funny while you were saying that voice for some strange reason. I'm not even a huge wrestling fan, but I just kept hearing a Hulk a Hulk Hogan voice going, "Not today, brother. Like not today. You know, whatever it is that I'm that I'm struggling with. So I you can, and that's the thing we we don't. We can, we can have a little fun with things too. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to lighten up a little bit and not take things so serious. We can still do exercises. We can still do the day-to-day stuff and, and be very intentional about it and enjoy it at the same time. Another little tip before we move off the tips is mm-hmm. like writing, because you reminded me of this, um, writing from a third-party perspective. Like, you know, I like to get clients to write from, like if they have an animal, uh, in the house, a pet, mm. you know, what is the pet seeing, you know, or even to do a narrative about um, like from an investigative reporter about what they, what the, an outsider would see when they looked at your life, oh. how would they report it, you know, so it gets um, some uh, distance. Yeah. You know, get some distance. And if you put it in third person, just like, a Hulk Hogan voice and <laughs> like, you know, looking at your life, you get some detachment from it, but it yeah. gives it a different point of view. I, I love that. And it also adds to that creative element. Like we're human beings, we're creative people. You know, there's, I, I, I firmly believe that every single human being 
has some sort of creative niche inside of them. I mean, they're all, we're all different though. And so just like that, like back to the having fun with it and then be creative. You can, you can have some fun and be creative at the same time and still, you know, kind of conquer some of those goals. Yeah. I, I mean, I think fun is important. I think that we are creative beings, you know, we've come here to create yeah. and creativity doesn't have to be art writing. It can be creating a life worth living, a purpose-driven life, love it. you know? So let's, uh, and great, great stuff, by the way. That's, uh, I, I love that. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about Have a Soul before we, uh, before we wrap up today. Your son started this organization. Um, tell us a little bit more about it. So Have a Soul, uh, just the, uh, quickly, is when we were living in the transitional living when I got out of jail, I couldn't afford to buy shoes. I was on welfare. And a woman that had been through the transitional house before me bought him two pairs of shoes. Mm. With that came an, a, a sneaker addiction. Okay. <laughs> he became a sneakerhead. Yeah. And so fast forward to his early 30s, he's got over 150 pairs of sneakers stacked up in his place from, from the floor to the ceiling. Okay. But the thing is, um, he's not happy. You know, he feels like he has no purpose. You know, he doesn't know what he was supposed to do. Why am I here? He's depressed. You know, he has, you know, stuff that he hasn't dealt with, right? And then he thought back to Becky, the woman who bought him the shoes, and he decided to give his shoes away, okay? He had, like, those 150 only wore about five pairs. So he loaded them up in the car the next day and drove around um, L.A. until um, he found somebody that could use a pair of shoes. So with that, that was, like, um, uh, I want to say 2014. It's been about eight years. He's given out over 40,000 pairs of shoes. He was on the Ellen DeGeneres show recently before you know, during COVID. Um, he was just recently on the home edit show, if you've seen that wow. great organizing show. But uh, more importantly than that, he gets, um, he has found his purpose. You know, he gets more satisfaction from giving shoes than he does from owning them. And uh, it's been kind of like, I am in the, you know, I have done some grant writing for Have a Soul. I've done other things, but I get such satisfaction seeing that my son using his experience as a tool to help other people, you know, that are going through similar circumstances that we went through back in the early 90s. Yeah, it's so it's so amazing and powerful when you hear the 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 pursuit or the the lack of pursuit at at a certain moment in in someone's life when they feel hopeless, helpless, um, like no direction, no purpose, and then we begin to serve and we find this whole new world out there, and that's what it really sounds like with your son, and and then one like. That you mentioned that purpose driven life. When I truly believe that's the secret to to um, you know, there's a couple secrets, I guess, but a couple things. But that's definitely one of the top ones to kicking addictions, to kicking um, depression, to to finding this new uh, life. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but what it does mean is that we have purpose and that we have found something that we truly enjoy and love to do. 
Um, and man, that's, I mean, ha- have a soul. Where can folks find the uh, website? And I'll make sure I put everything in the show notes, guys, too, so you can find it easily. Well, it's have a soul at H A V A S O L E dot com. Got it. So, and you know, it's, it's pretty comprehensive. The website's got everything up there. Um, you know, uh, yeah. And it's in Instagram too. have, have a soul. It's fun to follow because you'll go on road trips with him as he delivers shoes to Portland, to Texas. Um, I mean, we're mostly local, but we do some outreach to certain cities and we have a lot of um, support from certain um, uh, players and uh, owners of teams, the NBA. And so, you know, it's, you know, the thing, the thing that is really unique about have a soul is that it, it takes the sneaker culture, which is a kind of a materialistic uh, culture about getting more and more and more. Yeah. And yeah. it's a young culture. It's a hip culture. It takes them and changes the, pers- the lens, if you will. It's like, how can you use your experience to be of service? So the volunteers, and we have a lot big, a huge volunteer base that come out there are, are kind of tricked into service. <laughs> they find out, wow, this is so cool because our shoes are coming in from Nike. We're getting shoes from Nike. And um, so we're giving them pretty fresh, fresh uh, sneakers. Yeah. And they're in, in an instant, so simple. It's so profound. It's almost biblical, putting shoes on someone's feet. Yeah. We're not just, get, here's a pair of shoes. We're putting it on their feet. You know, and it's like that kind of kindness to somebody who's been kicked to the curb, you know, can be, I mean, I believe in the power of kindness. You know, I tried to hold up a persona, you know, tough girl when I first got out of jail. I was just a scared, you know, scared girl, smoking mirrors, but I had no defense against kindness, you know. Yeah, that's why they say that's like the best weapon, right? Being kind. <laughs> so yeah. powerful. I just, so. Uh, I, I just too, I just followed uh, Have a Soul on Instagram. Great uh, account, by the way. Lots of good stuff. I'm excited to look through it. So um, it's at Have, H-A-V-A-S-O-L-E, at have a, uh, have a Soul, if you want to follow. And we'll put that in the show notes as well, too. So shout out to your son, man, both your sons. It's awesome stuff. Like, it's it's really cool. I'm excited he got to married. The out. youngest son got married saturday oh nice nice congrats that's awesome start a family and yeah that's way cool it was cool well good stuff wendy it's been great to have you on the podcast today thank you so much uh folks want to reach out to you if they want to find uh more uh, about you or your books where can they do that well they can go to my pod um i'm sorry my um website wendyadamson.com or they can find me on facebook or on instagram it's number two and then Jedi, J-E-D-I. And um, I, I post a lot of stuff on Instagram, have a soul stuff and, and my son's wedding and, you know, just awesome. the gambit. Yeah. Well, good stuff, Wendy. It was great to meet you. Uh, hopefully we keep, we keep in touch. And uh, thank you so much for coming on that Sober Guy podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Share the podcast with a friend. Connect with us on Instagram at that sober guy podcast. Thanks again to Wendy for coming on the podcast today. 
Check out our Sober Guy men's group on the Locals platform. You can find all of our resources, the Quit Drinking Dude 30-Day Challenge podcast, meetings, all kinds of good resources at thatsoberguy.com. Peace, love, and respect. Keep your blood clean.